This is Recognize, a podcast about the NHL's black and biracial hockey heroes, proudly supported by eBay Canada. Ever since I was a kid, I collected hockey cards with spare change my dad gave me. As a black person, to see others like me on the ice inspired me. They were my role models and showed me hockey is a game for everyone. I've collected 100 rookie cards for NHL's black and biracial players, and I'm going to talk to all of them so you can learn their stories. They are right on the Bruins, can't get the attack going. And Newfell, a heavy hit on Milbury, and he is pounded down by Newfell in addition. Ray Newfeld was born in Winkler, Manitoba in 1959. He played 11 seasons in the NHL in Canada and the United States. He played for the Hartford Whalers, the Winnipeg Jets, and the Boston Bruins between 1979 and 1990. I don't know what would come to mind. I mean, I guess that I made I achieved my dream to play in the National Hockey League. When you get your get your picture on a hockey card, that's a pretty special moment for any any player, any Canadian kid. His rookie card shows Ray in the green and white of the Whalers. He's snapped mid-game, eyes full of concentration, with a full crowd behind him. Let's meet the man from the card. To, to start out with, what comes to your mind when you look at the rookie card from you and the Hartford Whalers in the 19, uh, 1980? You know, it was a thrill. I don't know if it was the best best picture of me, but uh, <laughs> I, got, I don't have much choice in that, but certainly... Uh, you know, good memory, and, and thankfully I was able to be a part of it. Yeah, you bet. That's the one. Yeah. And what's really neat for um, for people who remember and kids watching in the 80s is, is Hartford had the uh, green Cooperalls, and if I'm not mistaken, Philadelphia did as well. I'm not sure. Was there a third team? Was it Vancouver, or was it just you two teams? I, I think it was just uh, the Whale and uh, the, the Flyers that uh, wore them that year, and I believe they only lasted a year, if I recall, and and uh, yeah, it was it was kind of different wearing that, but uh, I, I liked the the regular uh, attire that hockey players would wear. I wasn't too, too much of a fan of the of the Cooperalls. Did you collect cards as a kid? I actually didn't as a young as a young uh, player kid growing up. I didn't at all. No, I I what I recall was. Uh, I was a big fan, of course. Every kid in Canada is Hockey Night in Canada, so uh, so that that's really was my connection to hockey. Listening to hockey on the radio or or watching Hockey Night in Canada, I, I you know every Wednesday night I used to go to a, a church gr- a group on Wednesday night. My parents would send me to that, and and uh, I know as soon as that that uh, that group ended usually around eight fifteen. I would run home and catch the third period of the Leafs game on on the you know Wednesday night hockey and of course uh, hockey night in Canada, Montreal and Toronto always played Saturday night. So so that's that's where I got my connection to hockey as far as you know the the whole TV world and radio world and and what was all about happening back then. Yeah, many people can relate to that time period of hockey night in Canada. So, what games did you get? Was Vancouver? They were they in the league? I'm just thinking of who you would see. Um, Gosh, when I was a kid back in those days, uh, let's see. Where I remember is '67, somewhere in there is when I started taking a uh, an interest to watching hockey on TV. And I know my uh, my sister's uh, boyfriends would come over and they always want to watch Saturday night. They'd come over to pick up their, my sisters that uh, we'd watch, uh, we'd watch a period or two of hockey, a uh, hockey night in Canada, but <clears throat> it was always the Montreal games or uh, the Toronto Maple Leaf games. We've got no other games. And I just have fond memories of Danny Gallivan and Dick Irvin doing the broadcast for the, for the Canadians and, and Foster Hewitt, I think it was for the much for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So uh, good memories, lots of good times. You bet. It's interesting you mentioned both teams because usually people on the East Coast said it was always Montreal, and the uh, the West maybe said Toronto. But did Winnipeg get a split of seeing both teams, or was there two channels? Or well, CBC normally would play. I guess it depends whether the teams were on the road. I was probably too young to really track, be tracking that at that time. But, uh, but we got a lot of Montreal games and we got a lot of the, the Leaf games. So uh, I guess it depend on their travel schedule, where they were at the time. And, and uh, 
I wasn't a huge Montreal fan back then, so it was tough watching the Canadians, but uh, I love the Leafs and, uh, you know, Paul Henderson, Norm, Norm Ullman, you know, Bobby Bond, all those guys were playing back then. So uh, it was pretty great. Mike Palmatier, I mean, Lanny McDonald, lots of great Leaf players. And of course, the Canadians were, were the Canadians. They were the best team in the world at the time, I believe. That's right. So let's take a be- step back to your uh, early first experience with, with hockey. Uh, where did you grow up? Do you recall when you first started skating and how you learned to skate and who supported you? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I, I grew up in a small town. I was born in, in Winnipeg in a community called St. Boniface or the St. Boniface Hospital, but I, I was adopted. So uh, when I was born, I was put into foster care, and I don't really have a lot of recollection of those years. Um, and then about four and a half, uh, I, I, a family in, in, in Winkler, at the time, they were actually living in Morden, Manitoba, but which is about seven kilometers from Winkler. And, and Winkler is about 75 kilometers uh, south of Winnipeg, Manitoba. And so my dad bought Winkler Pharmacy and uh, he became a far- was a pharmacist and bought bought Winkler Pharmacy. And that's where I remember my life sort of starting. And, and I think I was about nine, nine years old when I went home one day and asked my dad if I could play hockey. And they said, sure. And... Uh, and so I, I, that for whatever reason that year, <clears throat> the, the season was cut short. I think uh, the arena was just built or I can't, I can't actually recall, but uh, I only played two games that winter, played them both as a goaltender. And, uh, and the next winter I went out up front, played forward. And uh, really I was about 10 years old when I got my start. So um, I skated a little bit before that, but like I say, our arena and Winkler burnt down. So that's why there was a lag. I think I started skating about seven years old and didn't actually start playing hockey till, till my, almost my, uh, 10th year, uh, 10th, 10 years old. So, um, yeah, so there's a little lag there because the arena burnt down. I, I just remember that, but my parents, uh, and coaches and people in, in Winkler that were part of the minor hockey system, uh, you know, encouraged me. And that's how I got my start. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, and thanks yeah. for sharing that, that age, because nowadays um, that would be considered quite late, but just, just, just shows that people can develop at different stages because now it seems mostly people are on kids are on skates at uh, four years old. So right. Right. Between seven, eight, and you're saying you're really locked in at nine. That that's, that's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It was just uh Late start, and uh, obviously, I, I I love sports in general, right? So as a kid, I, I played just about every sport there was, and uh, certainly going up through uh, through high school and that, uh, I was a, a huge sports fan. Baseball, in particular, loved baseball, but uh, I really took a liking to hockey, and and uh, I you know was fortunate enough to be pretty good at it, and I was age advancing a lot uh, as a young guy, so. When, by the time I was 11, I was playing with 14-year-olds. By the time I was 12, I was playing with 16-year-olds and so on. And 13 years old, I was playing with 18, 19-year-olds already in, in the senior league in Winkler. So uh, I, I was pretty good, you know, uh, pretty fortunate, feel pretty blessed to be able to have uh, progressed uh, that quickly. So this moving up in age, was that was that your choice or was it because you were you progressed so much that that matched your like abilities for competition? Well, it was a little bit of both. I think, I think like, uh, so I played on the team that I would have been, uh, you know, the age group that I should be playing with, but, but all the other, um, you know, coaches, I guess would ask me if I want to play in an age advance. So uh, they, they allowed it back then. I mean, nowadays it's really unheard of for that kind of thing to happen. But when I was a young guy playing, uh, you know, they let me play and, and let me move up. So, so I did. I mean, and, and yeah, it pushed my career along, helped me develop, uh, got me into some, I wouldn't necessarily better coaching, but certainly by the time when I was 13 playing high school, I had a pretty good coach at that point and taught me a lot about the game of hockey. So uh, very fortunate to to be able to do that and, and also still play with my peers, uh, you know, where I could, uh, I mean, I dominated at my age level, obviously. So uh when I when I got to age advanced, the competition was a little stiffer, but I still had some success. But uh, when I went back and played amongst my peers, yeah, I, I was uh, quite a bit better than a lot of those kids. Yeah, yeah, and that's a similar pattern for some players that have really excelled. The fact that uh, 
they played a couple of years up that really developed them as players. And when they got to their own age, they were, you know, dominating their own age. Right. So were you physically able to, to match up with size, like as 11 year old with 14, or was that a big issue as you went on Actually, being a, a younger person? Yeah, actually with me, it never was. I was a big kid, a big and strong, a lanky kid. Uh, so I never really, uh, was challenged physically and, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess God just, you know, blessed me with the ability to be athletic. And so I really at, at all levels, all different sports, I, I was, I was pretty good at them. So I uh, feel pretty fortunate. I mean, I, I didn't, I never went to school to learn how to read and write. I went to school to play sports, you know what I mean? But, but in the process, I, I got an education, I guess. So that's good. So you mentioned some of the NHL stars. Is there anyone else you want to mention that you sort of uh, idolize as a young person? Uh, for me, I, I mean, my favorite player as a young guy was Bobby Clark. Uh, and I don't really know why. I just remember when Canada played the, the Russians in the, in the, the Soviet uh, Union in the biggest game ever in Canada. And Henderson got all those goals and the Canadians beat the Russians, came back and beat the Russians. But uh, Bobby Clark, uh, yeah, I just gravitated to him. And then, of course, he went on with the Broad Street Bullies and had those, uh, you know, successful years in Philly. And and uh, I ended up playing junior hockey in Flint Flon. And prior to me ever going to Flint Flon, I mean, Bobby Clark was my favorite player. So it was kind of unique that I could end up in Flint Flon playing there. And and uh, I really looked up to him. Not necessarily his style of game. I, I just liked his tenacity and and his compete level and how hard he tried every game and, uh, and just his willingness to battle and win. I mean, the guy was just a, you know, a, a, a pure, pure winner. I mean, he just, he did whatever it took to win. So I admired that for sure. So tell us the time period again, that you were playing as a player, uh, Ray. Um, well, uh, let's see. So I played all my minor hockey. I, I got drafted in 79. So, I went to Flin Flon when I was 17, so that would have made me, what, uh, 76, 76, 77? Yeah, okay. somewhere in there. All right. So most of your hockey is played in the late 60s, I guess, early 60s, late 60s. As a young guy, yes. As a, as a minor league right. minor hockey, yep. yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay. When did you realize you'd have a future in the sport? Do you, do you remember a certain time period um, transitioning from minor hockey to, to junior? Did you ever think about that? Uh, gosh, I mean that's a good good question, Dean. I I think for me for me it was at 15 I really started to focus in on hockey. I, I know my parents sent me to hockey school for the whole summer, and I came back off, off six weeks of going to hockey school, and I and I was like really just I accelerated past a lot of the kids like, and but I never really thought about being a professional player. It was just sort of yeah, I'd like to be. Uh, I, you know, I, I used to tell people, well, maybe I would be, but, uh, it wasn't until I got to my 19th year of junior where I actually started to, to believe that, wow, this, this could be a reality. This could really happen for me. So, um, you know, I had a really strong year in my last year of junior and, and, uh, you know, at that point I knew uh, people started asking me questions. Well, you know, what are you excited about the draft or where do you think you're going to get drafted? And, and uh, it was during that year that I realized, okay, I'm probably going to realize my dream to play professional hockey. I wasn't so sure about the NHL at that point, but uh, but certainly I was going to be able to advance past junior and see where it would take me. And can you share with us a little bit more what the junior experience was like? And um, did you play for um, one team or two teams before you got drafted? Can you share that? With yeah, us? I spent uh, t- like I left home at 17, uh, and I you know took the bus up to Flint Flon. It was 11 hours on a bus from Winnipeg and uh, went up way up north, northern Manitoba. And I started uh, and went to training camp. I had no idea what it was going to be like. I just remember getting off the bus and the trainer was there and said, hey, are you Ray? And I said, yeah. And he said, come on with me. And we went down to the community hall where all the other players, they just bunked us all in this uh, in this big hall. And we were all in there. And uh and that's where, and th- and that's that's where my junior career started. And we could walk to the Whitney Forum where where we practiced, and back to the hall, and they fed us and everything there. Um, so th- so that was that was kind of interesting. And, and I, it just 
it just, I, I just kept playing uh, and I didn't get cut and more and more guys kept leaving and I was still there. And, and then eventually uh, I went to practice one day and, and the coach asked me, uh, we at the practice, the coach used to bring the boxing gloves out and, and at the end of every practice, he'd toss them to a couple guys and they'd have to, we'd all be at center ice around a circle and you'd have to get in there and duke it out with somebody. Well, I, first time he did it, I did okay. Second time I did okay. And, and, uh, then he put me up against a veteran guy and I sort of did okay there too. So then, so the next day they told me I could move my stuff into the bomber dressing room and they found me a billet. And, uh, that was the start of my junior career. So, and, and um, you know, Flin Flon was a unique town, a really special place to play junior hockey. Still have a tremendous amount of friends there and uh, married, met my wife there. And we've been married for 40 years, known her for 45. And it's just a lot of great memories in Flin Flon. Uh, but my draft year, the team in Flin Flon, uh, we went to the Western League final the year before. And for whatever reason, the Western Hockey League, I mean, politics and hockey, they decided that uh, Flint Flon wasn't going to be in the Western Hockey League anymore. And somehow they they squeezed us out and the team got sold to Edmonton. So I played my last year junior in Edmonton with the Edmonton Oil Kings. And uh, while Bill Hunter uh, was the, the, the general manager, president, he's got quite a historic hockey background. And uh, so that was a whole new experience playing in a big city and, and, uh, well, big for Canada, I guess, and, uh, big for a kid from Winkler or Flin Flon. So, uh, there was a lot of adjusting there and I, I made a few mistakes along the way, but I managed to get drafted. So I have some good memories of, of playing in Edmonton, but, uh, yeah, I had a strong year, thankfully, but we had, we didn't have a great team. So it, it made the season, uh, longer than it needed to be. And, you know, there's situations that arose. And I'll get to your uh, yeah. experience with the draft in a moment, but you were drafted eighth round, 80th overall? 80, 81st pick, hard, yeah, fourth round, yeah. Does that impact you, that final Edmonton experience, you think your draft um, selection, or is that, uh, think you might be higher? Well, there's a, there were a lot of things that uh, that happened that year in my draft year that, that were really completely out of my control. Um, and the first thing is the team got sold from Flin Flon. So I got to think that, I mean, I got 54 goals my last year junior in uh, 50, 57 games, I believe. I got hurt for a little bit. And and I, I, I think I would have had way more had the team stayed in Flin Flon because it was tough for teams to travel up to Flin Flon and and play in that barn and they always would come in and play a, a two games back to back like you know and 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 they had to drive 11 hours to get up there right so the first night you're sort of licking your chops when they get off the bus because you know it's going to be a tough game for them so i think i might have had better numbers had i had i stayed in flin flon uh but that was out of my control i still put up pretty decent numbers in edmonton but uh, other things that happened is the underage draft came in that year. Uh, nobody was expecting that to happen. They decided, okay, they're going to draft 18-year-olds that year. And also the WHA folded that year. And so all those guys that were playing for Birmingham and, and uh, you know, Cincinnati, all the teams in the WHA, there were a lot of good players there like Hartsburg and Vive and, uh, geez, uh, Kenny Linsman. There was a ton of them. They all got dumped into my draft year, you know, along with all the 18-year-olds that were like Ray Bork, Dennis Savard. I mean, there was a tons of tons of good players in 79. And so that pushed me back down in the draft for sure. I mean, um, and and personally, I had a few challenges off the ice where I ran in a little bit of trouble, and and I don't think the scouts took too kindly to that. So there was, there was a bunch of stuff. That was the only thing in my control, unfortunately, but... But everything else wasn't, but I still managed to to get drafted and thankfully uh, made the most of it. So given all those factors and all those players, yeah, four, fourth round, 81st is probably pretty high. It sounds like any other year you might have moved up a couple more rounds, it seems like. I, I would have think. I, I think I would have, yes. I, I believe so. So tell us about that. Did you actually show up for the draft? Did you have family and friends? Did you, did, 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 was your agent 
did you have an agent with same, someone telling you or scouts that you'd be drafted at a certain number? Or? Yeah, actually, I, I knew I was going to get drafted. I just I just didn't know when and what round. And of course, I, I thought coming out of junior that my number, you know, I, I was going to get go higher than I than I than I did. So I didn't go to the draft. They didn't phone my agent. Didn't say, "Oh, you got to come to Montreal, wherever the draft was held that year." And uh, and and the agent I went with was a guy by the name of Normie Kaplan. And it's just because uh, I went with him because a buddy of mine that I played hockey with in Flin Flon, and he was playing pro now with the Hartford Whalers, uh, Jordy Douglas. Uh, he he's he went with Normie Kaplan. He suggested I go with him too. So. We were roommates. We've known each other basically our whole lives. He's like a big brother to me. So I, I went with Norm, and and uh, he was my agent. But uh, I was at home on the on draft day. Uh, my dad went to work. It was pretty much a normal day for me and Winkler. My mom and I sat at the at the phone and in the house, and we waited for the phone call. And we got the phone call at uh, gosh, I don't, I can't remember what time, but uh, they phoned me and and let me know I've been drafted fourth round by the Hartford Oilers. So, uh, yeah, it was a special day, really, uh, really good. And, of course, the town of Winkler, where I grew up, was they were all on uh, listening in, too, and waiting to hear the news. And, of course, we all went out and celebrated after after we got the news. So, uh, yeah, it was an exciting day for me, for sure. Yeah, it must be a great experience. So then yeah. let's move forward to your first uh, NHL game. And uh, do you know – Remember where that was and how did it feel? Can you describe that for us? Well, yeah, hundred percent. Do you know? It was a interesting time. Uh, I was playing in the American Hockey League at the time, and uh, I got the phone call that me and another guy, Steve Alley, his name was. He's an American uh, out of Minnesota, somewhere on there. Anyway, we got the call. We're going to go play. Uh, joined the whale to play the, the flyers were playing in Hartford and they needed us in because they had some injuries. So we jumped on the plane, but we got sort of bogged down. I can't remember. We missed our connection or something happened anyway. So they flew us, they flew a Learjet down to pick us up. And we, it was in uh, Baltimore grabbed, got on the plane there and flew back to Hartford. The limousine picked us up at the airport, drove us right down to the Hartford Civic Center, right down the, the ramp, right beside the dressing room door, and uh, hopped out and grabbed our gear. We missed the first period, but they put us on the game sheet. So when we walked into the dressing room, uh, you know, Gordy Howe was there and and Dave Key on a few of the boys, and they and they – you know, Gord says, come on, guys, get dressed. We need you. And sure enough, we, we threw our gear on, went out for the start of the second period. And and the other thrilling part for me was it was the Philadelphia Flyers. And Bobby Clark was there and and Reggie Leach and, you know, all the Flyers, Moose DuPont. I mean, they had a, they had a really good team. And, and there I was. I realized my dream of playing against the Philadelphia Flyers. So it's incredibly special. Yep. So not many people can say they played with Gordy Howe and then also Dave Keon, because of course they went and played there after the NHL and he's probably almost fifty years old or something. What what was that experience like playing with Gordy Howe for for uh, one or two years or Yeah, well, I played with him the rest of that year. So he was uh, I, I got called up at the end of the season. So I played, uh, I think it was eight or 10 games at, at the end of that season. And Gordy was 52 years old. Dave Keon was 42 or 45. I can't remember. Bobby Hall was also on that team, which was, was, was also special. So all three of them were in the dressing room. My gosh, it was, it was crazy, man. It was, it was quite the experience and uh, something I'll never forget. And Gordy Howe, wonderful person. Uh, one of the, you know, best people, I think, gentlemen I've ever met. I mean, he just was so, you could learn just by being around Gordy Howe and just the attitude in which he, he uh, carried himself and the way he carried himself day by day. And and just, uh, he got 15 goals as a 52-year-old in the National Hockey League. And who does that? And uh, and just a special guy. Became good friends with the Howe family, their kids. I mean, good friends with Marty and Mary and, Mark and Ginger and the whole the whole bunch of them. So uh, they actually lived uh, when I made it the next year in Hartford. 
we lived right through the park from them. So if we, as a crow flies, if we would have walked through the park, we would have walked right into Gordy and Marty's property. And, and so I, I got to know the house pretty good. It was, uh, uh, you know, lucky for me, special times for sure. So you must uh, still pinch yourself again, the, just describing that playing with Gordy, Dave Keon. And I can tell you another Gordy house story though, but, uh, you know, when we are the last, I was, I was lucky enough to be there the last game he played in a, like the Montreal Forum. And, and that was, yeah, you don't, you don't get an experience like that. I, I, I remember he, Gordy Howe was always this guy that would give back so much to the game. And he said, the fans are the reason we, 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 we had the opportunity to play. And, and he used to give back to the fans something just incredibly. And, I remember we were all waiting on the bus and Gordy was still out there. He was still signing autographs and then half an hour went by, an hour went by. And finally somebody said, man, we better go get him. And they dragged him out of the rink. But uh, he would have stayed and signed every last autograph. And uh, it was just the type of guy he was. So you still remember that, that, that you're saying that was his final game in mm-hmm. Hartford or in much like was the game in Montreal or was it in Hartford? It would have been in Montreal in the form. Uh, it was it was the last time we played in there, and he yeah he was there. So I, I was fortunate enough to be be there just to kind of you know be around it. It was pretty special. Yeah. So um, is there a favorite NHL city you remember from the years you played? A uh, number of years with Hartford and then Boston. I guess you wrapped up your career, right? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I I don't know if I had a favorite city. I mean. Uh, favorite places to play. I, I enjoyed playing in Boston. I, I, even though they were tough games and it was a small barn, but I loved playing in there. It was fun. Uh, I liked playing in St. Louis. Uh, gosh, uh, the Canadian cities is always special playing in Edmonton, even though I hated, oh, I shouldn't say hated, but it was hard to beat the Oilers. So it was, we had a dislike and of course the Montreal Forum was one of the most special places in the world to be able to play so uh yeah i had some great memories in, in a number of rinks and had some good games in some of those rinks yeah. as well so you were a high scoring forward um for um for most of your career um for sure at the beginning st- stages and i did you play with ron francis can you comment on your experiences in hartford then and then talk about the trade moving to winnipeg sure uh, sure trade for dave babbage and yeah. I think another player, but you can maybe comment on that. Yeah, hundred percent. Um well my time in Hartford was bumpy at the start. So I my, my first year I went I, I wasn't ready to play in the National Hockey League. It was pretty clear when I come out of junior I wasn't ready yet. So sent me to uh, Springfield, the American League that year and I had a pretty strong year and then they brought me up towards the end of the year. The following year I made the whale and played for I think sixty or sixty five games or something like that with them. And then started, you know, having a few issues off the ice. So I was just having too much fun, not focused on hockey very much. And uh, and so they sent me back down to the farm team. And the following year, I spent the whole year in the American League. We went to this, the, the, the actually the league championship, lost to New Brunswick in the final. And, uh, and that year, I kind of knew that I was going to make the National League the next year because I was, I, I was, having a good year and and my coach that was coaching me got got hired with Hartford so I knew I was going to get a chance and and the next year I I managed to have a real strong year in Hartford I think I scored 26 or 27 goals I can't remember but uh uh played that year with the guy by the name of Mark Johnson actually he was a world junior uh or pardon me uh Olympic gold medalist with uh Team USA 1980 and yeah, and so wonderful guy, good player, really underrated, tremendous skill. And so I, I got my feet wet with him, and the following year I got to play with Ron Francis for a couple of years. I think it was two or three, two for sure. And um, and that was special. He was a terrific player, one of the – well, one of the greats. I mean, he's one of the all-time best players I've ever played. So, uh, you know, a really special person. Uh Probably that's that's the thing I remember about Ron Francis. Probably as much as his hockey ability is, what kind of an individual he was. He was just such a, a strong character, uh, just a real caring guy. And uh, yeah, so it was a privilege to play with him and call him a friend. And uh, yeah, 
and and so uh, my time in Hartford was good. Then I got, uh, you know, like every player, it happens. You get the the phone call from the coach and say, "Come up to the, come up to the to my room." And that's what I did. And they told me I got traded. I says, "Well, where'd you get traded?" I said, "Where where'd you trade me?" And he says, "Winnipeg." I went, "Oh, great." It was uh, the last place I actually wanted to go. Yeah, it was absolutely the last place I wanted to go. I, I just so far off the radar. But uh, as it as it turned out, it was the the absolute best thing that could have happened in my life, my career at the time. I was really struggling, you know, Dean, with my off ice. I was uh, trying to figure out, uh, you know, if I wanted to be you know, drink or if I wanted to be a hockey player. And, uh, and I was, uh, you know, hockey was getting pushed to the wayside. And, uh, and when I went to Winnipeg, it was a light bulb went off and, uh, you know, my wife, she wasn't ready to come with me to Winnipeg. So that was the first, she says, well, now you're, you know, till you're ready to stop drinking, I think I'll stay in Hartford. And, uh, fortunately for me, there were two guys on the team in, in, in Winnipeg you know, Laurie Boschman and Doug Smale, uh, both Christian hockey players uh, have a faith in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, I gravitated to those guys, man. I, I can't even begin to tell you, it was like a magnet for me. And it was more so not the faith side. It was because they didn't drink and I could hang with two other teammates and I, and I didn't have to worry about other guys saying, oh, how come you're not coming out to drink or whatever? And not that hockey players drank all the time. I'm not saying that. But but guys like to have fun when, when it was the right time. And, and I had problems with booze, so it wasn't a good mix for me or a good fit. Anyway, so uh, I hung out with Bosch and hung out with Smale and kind of talked to them and started to work through some of my challenges as far as uh, off-ice goes and started to get my priorities turned around and you know long story short I gave my life back to the Lord and and uh, started to live a, a life of faith and became a good man a good husband and and uh, put my life and my family life back together again and and so uh, Winnipeg was by design was the best thing that could ever happen to me and and at the time I didn't think it was going to turn out that way but uh, I never regret being traded to Winnipeg. It was a blessing for sure. So a, a turning point. And is that just by coincidence the GMs were trading you as a player or was there was there an element there in terms of the Boschman and Smale that that uh, the GMs in Winnipeg thought about? Do, do you know? What was that? Oh, I, I, they had no idea. I don't think even – I don't think Fergie – John Ferguson was a GM at the time. Emil Francis was a GM in Hartford who – both are good people and uh, fair and 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 straight shooters. You know, I, I can't say enough about Emil Francis and or Fergie. Fergie was, you know, he was a good man. I mean, he he, uh, you know, he he wanted me to succeed in Winnipeg. I know that it was a tough trade for the Jets. Uh, they traded for Babich and they, uh, you know, traded Babich out of Winnipeg for, and they thought they were getting more in return and. And I, I probably could have played a little better in Winnipeg than I did. But uh, overall, uh, I think I, I, I was a type of player I had to be in Winnipeg, which which, which they traded me for was a, a winger that could go up and down, bang and crash, uh, open up ice for, for some skilled guys and, and, and chip in with some goals. And, and that's really the type of player I was in Winnipeg. So, uh, uh, you know, but I wasn't a, I wasn't an all-star and, uh, and, uh, you know, they traded an all-star for, for me. So uh, there was a lot of pressure, uh, without a doubt. That first year was really miserable. But uh, we got through it and, you know. But off-size, things just really turn around for you. Yeah, right? 100%. Yeah. And I, I don't think that the, the GMs uh, knew at the time. They were just saying, hey, well, this is a fit we needed. And, and uh, you know, uh, the only the only knock I have is, is, is I wish the Jets would have somehow added another player in that trade, uh, a defenseman, because uh, it would have helped us uh, as a team as well. We were, were a little bit light on the back end and, and uh, you know, it showed in, in how we performed that year. If you're enjoying Recognize and thinking about starting your own hockey card collection, I'd suggest you start with eBay. 
eBay is all about connecting communities and fueling passions. Because of its thriving card collector community, I was able to make my dream come true by collecting the rookie cards of the NHL's black and biracial players. Start your own collection at ebay.ca slash hockey cards. So you moved on to Winnipeg and life changing, but uh, do you ever wonder if you had stayed and just played with Ron Francis? I'm not sure how many more years he stayed in Hartford, but if you stay on that line, just your point production, all that, I wonder if it would have just kept skyrocketing. Yeah, I, I got to think it would have. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Kevin, Kevin Deneen was, that was the other reason I think the whale decided they could make that move because they, they had drafted different players. Kevin Deneen was one of them, he was a really great player, terrific person, by the way. And, and, uh, and, and he was coming up and, and so they saw him as a fit with Francis. I think, uh, they had Paul McDermott also, he's a big strapping, uh, strong, bang and crash winger that could handle himself. And, and so uh, they saw their weakness was a, they needed a D-man. So they traded, a, you know, myself to, to acquire that player. So, you know, I, I think if I would have stayed in Hartford, yeah, I would have probably had uh, a number of 25-goal seasons. It's pretty hard not to get that playing with Ronnie Francis. So, uh, you know, I was pretty uh, pretty fortunate for the time and that I did yeah. get to play with him. So just shifting gears a bit here then, um, what was it like being one of the few NHL black players uh, at the time when you were in the league? Because um, just around that time, Tony McKegney would have been playing um, and a few others joined after that, but you were the sixth. So you want to comment on, on how, how, how you viewed things back then? Gosh, I mean, uh, the, yeah, I mean, today it's so, it's so much more talked about, eh? I mean, uh, everybody's talking about equality and diversity, inclusion, and what does that mean? And how is it, you know, from from for us and what, what we had to endure and go through, I guess. And, you know, I, I never looked at it as being a, a challenge because I was a, a colored person. I, I, I never looked at myself as a colored hockey player, to be totally honest. I mean, I was just a hockey player that put on the jersey and put on the skates like everybody else, and uh, and and just went out and played. And 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 because we, you know, the the common denominator all all professional athletes have certainly hockey players is that they, you know, they have a dream to achieve and and play a game they love. And 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 I was no different. The color of my skin was completely irrelevant from my perspective. Uh, and and so. I didn't really dwell on, on those things. Yeah, there were the odd time that people would say things or fans would get a little bit, uh, you know, uh, well, what's the word? They just, they'd, they'd be a little bit chatty, I guess, and say some things they probably shouldn't have said. But, you know, I always looked at it, hey, they're the fans. They paid their ticket. You know, they can do and say what they want. I'm the player. I'm the, I'm paid to perform and, and help my teammates win and be successful as a player. So I, I never really got too wrapped up in all the, you know, the uh, the, the racism. And, and I never look at hockey as being a racist league. I, I just never have. It's It's been a wonderful environment for me to grow as a person, a, a wonderful environment for me to be able to achieve and, and, and succeed. I mean... I just I just can't say enough good things about about the hockey and the teammates that I had and and the players that I played with and and certainly the fans that paid the the tickets and uh, I know I know lots of times today people want to talk more about the well did you ever did they ever say this or say that or and and I think it, you know you'd have to be silly to think that it didn't happen you know but but at the same time I mean. You know, I wasn't a, just a saint of an individual either, right? I mean, I said some things I shouldn't have said. I, 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 you know, it's just part of the game. You're you're out there trying to win, and you're you're you, you're pay, you're playing fair, but but sometimes we get caught up in 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 nonsense, I'll call it, and and things are said, and it's just part of the game. And and uh, no, today they want to look at it differently than that. If I take you back to that time, and and maybe. Having said that, your experience being pretty positive and um, there wouldn't be a lot of uh, diversity probably where you grew up in Winnipeg, I would suspect, either at the time. 
maybe I'm wrong, but I, I would right. suspect that right. would be not that diverse. So then you, you moved to Hartford in the U S and you're traveling around a lot of U S um, cities and um, racial tensions or uh, disparities might be a little bit more pronounced in the U S than Canada. So anything that came across you that uh, was uh, confronting you, you talked about a bit of the fans, but just your life outside of the rink and all that, was there anything that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. You know, it's a good point. I mean, I grew up, I grew up in a small town, Winkler and, and my sister was adopted as well. And we were adopted into a white, a white home, a white family. Um, so I grew up, I grew up white, man. I mean, I, I can't say I grew up black or what was it like to be in a black culture? I have really no idea. Um, and so, uh, it was different a hundred percent. Uh, but that was my normal for me. So, uh, growing up in Winkler, there weren't a lot of colored people. There's one other family in, in Winkler that, that was, they were doctor, the doctor from, uh, from the West Indies, uh, and their family. But, uh, really that was me and my sister and that was it. So I, I grew up being the only kid that was, you know, colored really playing sports. So, when I went to, to the U.S. to play, it, it was different. I mean, no question. I, I, I bumped into, I had one situation that happened to us one night. We were out after training camp and we got in a little bit of a, well, we went out to have some drinks and we went to a bar that we probably shouldn't have went to. And and I was the only black guy in the bar. And yeah, things got escalated and got a little out of control. And and I know we got, you know, I I ended up, we, we got out of there safely, thank goodness. But, uh, but, uh, we got in a little trouble because we had to go see the GM the next day because nothing went by coaches in those days. <laughs> they knew everything. And, and, and so, uh, we went to practice and I still remember my teammates who were all talking, saying, Oh, Hey, let's, let's not talk about this. Let's just let the practice go. And I'm sure nobody knows and we'll just slip through the cracks. Well, the coach played along the whole practice, never said a thing until the end of practice. And then he, and then he called us out and said, okay, you five guys who got in trouble last night downtown, you got to go see the general manager. Well, we all were panicked, man. We just had no idea what was going to happen. I thought, I thought, and this is it. I'm going to get sent. I was in the American league at the time. I'm going to get sent to where I don't know where, and uh, I'm never going to play hockey again. Right. I was terrified. But uh, he just he just called us up there, and one of the veteran guys I was with said, "Here, I'll do the talk," and he did, and and uh, and it went over no problem. He just said, "Hey, listen, guys, you, you need to be a little smarter." But when it was all done, after we had done he done saying whatever he had to say, he pulled me aside, and and I'll never forget. He said, "Ray," he says, he says, "You know, you're no longer in Winkler, Manitoba, Canada." says you're in the united states of america it's a big country and there's things are done differently here you have to be careful where you go and i said okay i got it and uh and so that was my first experience my in my in my rookie year you know but good advice by my gm and it taught me to be careful certain areas just to be careful what you do and where you go and make sure you're with teammates at that time, we know a good majority of the players were Canadian. Um, the, you know, the influx of U.S. players were still a number of years away from that. So you got some starting to have some sprinklings of uh, European players. But again, vast majority are coming from the Canadian hockey leagues, right? And um, so there had to be some positives out of this for you as a role model. Again, I know hockey is still even back then it was quite a bit of a niche sport, but, but seeing you out there, do you have any uh, stories to share about um, other diverse groups and people saying, well, wow, this is really neat to, to see you there uh, playing? Gosh, you know what? I, I don't recall any, uh, to be totally honest. I, I, uh, School visits or anything like that? or yeah. we, we, You know, um, in Hartford, I played in Hartford. We used to do a lot with the cancer hospital. I remember that. And in community, uh, I lived there all year round. So I stayed there in the summer and, you know, I associate with lots of different people and, 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 and lots of different community events. And, and so I, you know, I was recognized for my achievements in community, but, uh, you know, I, I, I never associated color with any of it. 
Um, it was just, hey, I'm a pro player. They're asking me to do this. Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll go do it. I'll, do you remember any fans, though, that were from underrepresented groups or really find it neat to – or were they just not – were there just no no fans of Nothing. those backgrounds? I, I don't. Yeah. I do not recall that, that there was. And, and you'd think in a city like yeah. Hart, Hartford there would have been. But even, even yeah. uh, you know, going games. When you're or traveling out, to New York and other cities and, yeah. Yeah, you, you just didn't, I just didn't see it. So, uh, and maybe I just wasn't focused on it. That could have been that too. But, uh, you know, hockey's got to change in that way. I, I guess uh, they're still trying to figure that out, how to how to diversify the fan base. You know, uh, I know in Canada, it's an interesting thing to, to, to parallel is um, if you go to a Toronto Raptors game, like you'll see pretty much every every walk of life that you would see at a Toronto Raptors game. You go to a Toronto Maple Leaf game, well, it's a different different demographic, different group of people. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I'm a I'm a baseball fan, and you see a, a mixture too. Maybe not as diverse as basketball, but again, that that mix of people are there. And over the years, you know, when the Blue Jays started to become a pretty strong team too, they had lots of athletes. Uh, even had some Canadian players that were black too, and of course, you're from Winnipeg, so the Blue Bombers would have been a big thing uh, as well, too. Um, but I, I just wondered with your travels around all the different cities and going to L.A., some some uh, players have had uh, experiences where you know, there was a, there's uh, some younger people that were really idolized them and were at games and all that. So I was just curious about that. Yeah, no, I, I don't recall any. Uh, uh, certainly when I came home in the summer and stuff like that and in my hometown and going up to you know, flint flon and things like that. Yeah, there are lots of people. We just didn't, yeah, I just never made the connection with, uh, say, say a diverse group of people uh, like myself, never did. Now, since that, um, that there wasn't really much of a focus when you were playing, but now that there's a lot more conversation, is there, are you receiving some recognition for, for what you accomplished being one of the few uh, players of color back then? If you want to talk about some of the experiences you've had in recent years. Well, I think overall, like the media and uh, the attention on the National Hockey League making this big shift and, uh, you know, uh, people speaking out uh, and, and talking about this stuff. I, I think there's a lot of different messages that are happening right now, lots of different views and different uh, uh, individuals that, uh, you know, have their thoughts and, and their feelings about it. Uh, I know, um, like for myself, I think, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Jets, uh, the, at the end of this month, they're having me uh, be be their, you know, drop the puck at center ice. They're going to honor me uh, for Black History Month and be their ambassador for 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 the month in, in Winnipeg. And, and so very, very privileged, very uh, humbled to, that they would choose me to, to do that on behalf of their organization. So, uh, you know, I think things like that are happening more and more. I think... Uh, you know, in different different um, people are calling me, asking me to share stories or my life. What was it like? How was? How did this go? How did that go? Uh, um, and and so yeah, I, I feel strongly about about uh, bringing awareness, uh, helping people understand the importance of uh, uh, you know diversity and equality, inclusion. Uh, I think. I, I have some rub points with some of the people and some of the things that they're saying. I, I think that I, I'm not a finger pointer, Dean. I think that you'll start to realize that about me. I, I don't like to mention because things happen. I mean, we live in this world that is, is a, a, you know, it's challenged in some ways, unfortunately. And, and they've, there's individuals that have treated people poorly. I mean, there's no question about that. You can't run from that. That's just the facts. But uh, in saying that, I, I think that it, it, it's important that we understand that, uh, you know, it's okay to voice it, but, but, but how we voice it, what's the message? What do we really want young people to, to understand? You know, uh, is it that we were treated terribly or, or were we really treated terribly? I mean, how terribly could I have been treated? I made it to the National Hockey League. Like, I mean, I, I look at it from that perspective in a different way. I like to swing the positive. In it, even though I, I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive to the fact that my story is much different than lots of stories uh, uh, out there. And, and uh, you know, I, I grew up more white than I grew up black. Uh, um, 
but I still respect, you know, the culture of black people and, and what they, what they stand for and, and the, and the, and the hardships that some of them had to endure. There's no question that they, that they did. So, um, you know, yeah. I talked earlier about probably being limited diversity and, and even the time that you grew up in the sixties and seventies, even, um, urban areas like Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, or not nearly as diverse as they are right now. So I think a lot of discussion is is saying proportionately, there's a lot more people that uh, in a perfect world of color could access the game. So there's the intersection of um, some issues of maybe the game not being as inclusive. You've got issues now with the game, like you, you grew up in a relatively privileged background um, and, and you could access the game and not have to buy a $400 stick. And so these issues are impacting everyone regardless of what color you are. But, but what do you think has to, has to change or do you think hockey really wants to grow and expand the game? Cause, cause I see, I see uh, what you said there earlier about um, when you played and up to 1980, um, I was doing my collection. There was probably eight or nine players that have played and the collection I have shows that there's a hundred that have stepped on the ice and, and you were a very strong, um, you know, had a very successful NHL career, which is even more so difficult to do. So I think that's why it's great. People are talking to you right now and we're celebrating uh, all the players, black, indigenous, different backgrounds, because, um, you know, the reality is there's it's still mostly a white sport. However, um, if you, if you take into account all the players now since the seventies, there's a lot of players that have stepped on the ice and a lot of players that, um, that young people can look up to. But it's still different than if you're in Winnipeg right now, you can probably access and have a pathway to the CFL if that's what you want to do. Or even if we don't talk about professional sports, just the fact of numbers accessing the game and playing road hockey and ice hockey, it, it just still seems to be. And maybe there's just too many choices nowadays mm-hmm. that, that there weren't back then. But yeah, um, well, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's quite a. a a big topic and how, how do we, how do we move it forward? How, what are the ways to help people feel comfortable with it and, uh, and want to play? But I mean, I, I look at it like this, you're a kid from the prairies in Canada, man. I mean, uh, I mean, every kid plays hockey, man. I mean, uh, and, and they, they, but they have many choices today and whether they're playing it by video game or whether they're going on the ice and actually playing it, uh, or learning it, I think it's just it's just making it available to them somehow, some way, and let them choose if that's what they want to do. I mean, as a, as a parent today, I look at parents and I go, my gosh, I mean, how do how do they get their kids through hockey today? The costs, the expense, the things that they have to put uh, you know put into it just 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 to have their kid play. Uh, so those challenges are all there, but I think the National Hockey League definitely wants to grow the game and grow their, their crowd base, uh, uh, make it more inclusive. I think they're trying hard to do that. I think uh, some of the messages out there uh, have to change. The narrative has to change. I mean, it does. Um, you know, it, it's about encouraging kids. It's not about uh, pointing fingers at people that said something uh, derogatory to you. I think, uh, you know, I, if if you look back, uh, there isn't anybody in life that's walked a path of, of of success that hasn't had challenges, that hasn't had to overcome obstacles, that hasn't had to go through uh, uh, some kind of difficulty to get to where they are. And if if my 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 lot in life was that my skin was color was 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 you know colored and that was the challenge I had to face to get to where I, I had to go. Well, hopefully I give young kids hope that they can achieve because I got asked a question today from a media guy and he asked me, he says, Ray, he says, if you were to talk to a young kid today, a young Ray Newfeld, what would you tell him? Right. And gosh, I you know, follow your dream. Don't let other people control your destiny. Um, you know, get yourself around good people. You, you know, it's all about choices. It's all about how you want to look at, at life and, 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 and who do you surround yourself with? What choices are you making? I could have chose to go down a different path. 
I chose to surround myself with good people that could support me, help me, and and not make excuses for why why I wanted to get there. I mean, um, you know, we all achieved, we all made it. I, I played with a ton, a ton of white kids that never made pro hockey. They never got a sniff. They were great players, and they never got out of the American League. They just never did. You know, so I feel fortunate and blessed, and hopefully I'm an example for other kids that they can do it. But but that's the message is you can do it. You just have to work hard. You have to commit yourself and 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 don't let somebody else control your destiny. I mean, you know, do the best you can. And if that's not good enough, like Gordy Howe says, hey, if you do the best you can and it's not good enough, well, sometimes you just got to tip your hat and say, okay, you know, and 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 I feel that's very strongly about that. So yeah, those are some really wise words, and uh, and I do agree that I think just um, sometimes um, we've forgotten about again the the accomplishments that uh, players like you have made, and and if players are questioning whether they can break through and play in this game, even though a lot of people may not look like them, there have been some that have played the game, and they certainly have some great examples. Yeah, hundred percent. There's so. Can you share with us now just um, what did you do as when you transitioned out of your career, and mm. where are you up to right now? Well, I had a, f- a few uh, transitions, if you will. Like, uh, I, I, I uh, when I got out of hockey, I, I sort of left the game in, not in, in a great attitude. I didn't have a great attitude about the game when I got out of hockey. So I, I sort of stepped away for a lot of years, didn't come around the game at all, and just went, div- you know, diverted into my, I guess, the workaday world. And I started uh, doing... Uh, you know, first aid CPR training for a company in Canada called St. John Ambulance and, and, uh, and, uh, became, uh, interested in that, wanted to become a paramedic and, and decided to just stay and, and be an instructor and work with instructors and train first aid and CPR. So that's what I did for, gosh, I don't know, 10 years, maybe 12 years. And then a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to coach. And I said, well, what's that all about? Maybe I would. And, and I became an assistant coach with uh, in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League for a while, and and uh, and realized really quick you couldn't make any money doing that. So, <laughs> and I had family and I had people I needed to support. So, I uh, I, I branched off and uh, and and got hooked up uh, doing office administration and in in the oil business, and and you know been doing that now for twelve years or so. So. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, that's been really good. I mean, God's really blessed me in that way. It's been really, uh, really tremendous. My wife and I have been working together on, on projects in Alberta, northern BC, northern Alberta, all over, really, um, and uh, just helping helping that whole thing go. And it's been really a tremendous blessing for me. It's, uh, you know, financially, it's been very, 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 very good. So I uh, can't complain at all. Well, it's glad to hear that transition has worked out with you, right? Because that that can be difficult for uh, for any athlete nowadays, from what I understand. So, not always easy. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And have you kept in touch with any um, teammates or others around the league? Uh, yeah, uh, I th- definitely. Uh, um, I have some really strong friends in hockey. I mean, uh, Lori Boschman and I are still really good buddies. Uh, uh, I, I've got lots of friends. Tony, Tony, and I actually, since all this diversity stuff happened, um, Tony and I have, have reconnected. We spend quite a bit of time on the on the phone uh, from time to time, talking and and uh, so yeah, I, I got tons of friends in hockey that I know. Guys that live in Winnipeg that played Jets or were from Manitoba. I'm very active with the Winnipeg Jet alumni and and uh, and so yeah, I I, I know a pretty big number of players. I stay in touch with as many people as I can. It's pretty easy today to, to stay connected if you want to. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, so I, I, I do and definitely uh, like to give back and do what I can. And when I say I'm an active member of the alumni, I, I really believe in, in supporting. I think the Jets and True North Sport and Entertainment Winnipeg have done a terrific job with, with so many programs and projects that they've uh, – 
they put out there and, and, and with their hockey academy as in particularly and how diverse and inclusive they've made that, uh, that hockey academy is really a tribute to them um, and tip my hat to them really and, and how they've drawn in, you know, they haven't really segregated to a certain group. It, it's really an inclusive uh, uh, um, uh, academy and, and they've done a really terrific job. So good example to follow, I think. And, Hopefully, other other teams take up on it. That that's good to see because it speaks about um, you know my questions earlier about the path forward and how much more um, responsibility teams can have in terms of uh, making things open, inclusive, and deferring costs. And you see it, um, you see it with soccer in Europe where they have academies where they identify players. I know it's not the same thing, and you can't necessarily just handpick a player and say they're your property. <laughs> But but it's still nice to, to 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 grow the game and provide those opportunities for everyone. That's great to hear. I I don't know Mark Chipman with the with True North is uh, easy owner of the team, one of the owners, and yeah, he's he's a he's a really big community guy and and giving back, and so uh, he's helped a lot of a lot of programs. You know, from Project Project Eleven, which is uh, for mental health, all the way through to their, uh, you know, how they, how they're working out their diversity with hockey. So, uh, yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's good to be a part of that. I feel, I feel blessed to be a part of the, the Jets family. So ra- wrapping up, you, you somewhat answered this question before, but I'll give you a, another chance to, to, uh, expand even further. What advice would you give to a young hockey player today? Always, uh, you know, be passionate about what you want to do in life. And, and, uh, you know, surround yourself. It's important, I think, that you surround yourself with wise people, a, a mentor, somebody that can guide you and direct you uh, down the path you want to go. And and uh, and you might have multiple mentors, uh, but but uh, you know, learn to associate with people that'll help you, give you a hand up, and and not not a hand down. Um, and it's a lot for young people to grab, but. Uh, uh, I, I would just say, chase your dreams, man. Uh, you know, go at it with passion and uh, understand that be, becoming a better, a, a good person, becoming a, you know, a, round, a, a well-rounded individual with character, integrity, honesty, uh, respecting others. Those are the things you, you want to learn. Sports is, is a, a venue that you can you can do that in. Um you know, if you're if you're making the right choices and following the right role models, you know you're going to find your way uh, going the way you want. Whether it's in education or whether it's in the workaday world. I mean, the world I'm in now in the oil business, like man, I'm telling you, like people talk about it all the time, like how how we're supposed to respect people, treat people. Uh, you know, uh, how do we become better people in overall? That's what I'd want young people to know. Be the best person you can be. And how do you do that? Well, sometimes you got to learn from others and, and then grow yourself in that process. And, and that's that's what I would encourage young people to do today. Well, thank you. It's been uh, wonderful to uh, talk with you. I know we could we could talk forever, but uh, maybe, maybe there'll be a time again in the future. Um, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I think, uh, you know, one, one takeaway again, part of our discussion is I think it just helps to normalize. Um, you're one of the few players that's, you know, is a standout player. It just gives uh, all of us, whether you're a person of color or not, just a greater understanding of the different people who have played this game and, and, and uh, you know, a path forward to ensuring doors are open for everyone. So really appreciate uh, having you on. Well, thank you, Dean. I appreciate, I appreciate your attitude and how you, how you present yourself and, and, uh, you, you know, you're one of, you're, you're a person that I can tell you're really a big, big believer in, in inclusivity and, and diversity and what's happening here. So, uh, you know, I tip my hat to you. Uh, well done. Very well done. Yeah. I think, um, you know, hockey, as you said, it's given a lot to, uh, to many people. And uh, I think we just sort of spread the word of, uh, the experiences. And, uh, so, um, there's a lot of friendships developed, a lot of lifelong friendships with you spoke about as well too. And I think it's, it, that doesn't just happen at the NHL level happens at all levels of sports. So it's great to spread, spread that message. Beautiful. Right on. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We're proud to be working with hockey equality. Hockey equality is on a mission to create diversity at all levels of the game of hockey. 
by lowering financial barriers for BIPOC female and other equity deserving youth hockey players. If you've been moved by the stories shared on this podcast and want to help make hockey accessible to all, check out hockeyequality.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to share this story with your kids, then check out My Hockey Hero. It's shorter and suitable for the whole family. You can click the link in the show notes or find it wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Podstarter production. production.